Welcome again. My name is Richard. Uh, I'm the pastoral intern of this church. Um, and today I'm going to be preaching from um, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 79. Um, for the next three remaining weeks or two remaining weeks of the year, uh, we're going to be putting a hold on our series on 1 Peter. And instead, we're going to be delving into the stories relating to Christmas, particularly in the book of Luke. And so why don't we read from Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 79. If you don't have a Bible with you, please put your hand up and Joseph at the back can bring you one. Otherwise, it's going to be up on the screen. So Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, may you become more and me less. May your words that are preached, Lord, pierce the hearts of those who hear. May we bring this all to the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Friends, I want to, before I start, I want to be honest with you. This week as I've been praying and pondering and meditating on this passage, I was stuck for a really, really, really long time. Why? Because I was thinking, you know, we all know the story of Christmas. When we come to church and it's a sermon series on Christmas, we all know what we're going to hear, right? And in my heart, I wrestled quite a bit because I was looking for something different to tell you, hoping to tell you a different angle or a different perspective of Christmas that you might not have heard of or thought of before. But God, in his grace, uh, he humbled me and in his grace reminded me that actually what we need to hear again for all of us here today is what we heard during Christmas last year, and the Christmas before that, and the year before that. That's the birth of Jesus. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. And we need to hear this again, because aren't we so prone to forget the birth of Jesus in amongst all the things that are going on in our life right now? I'm sure you're busy already as it is, but for many of you, like my family, We already had our Christmas tree up two months ago, something like that. You know, we've been decorating the internals and externals of our house 
You know, we're thinking about the mammoth list of presents we need to purchase for our friends and families. Perhaps you're working extra hours to cover for the, for the Christmas spend. Or maybe you're preparing for your holiday that is to come, what you need to pack, what you need to buy. You know, leading up to Christmas, it's very, very busy. You know, all, the, all of these things that I mentioned, they're great things, but in light of the true meaning of Christmas, and I apologize for using this word, but they sometimes can be just distraction, uh, distractions, not distractions, but distractions or distractions, and they all point away from the birth of Jesus Christ. And so today, in this moment, if you're right now in your seat thinking about shopping, gifts, dinner plans that you've got to plan for tonight or the weeks to come, I want us to just hold, be still, pause, silence, stop thinking about all the things that needs to happen leading up to Christmas for now, and be reminded again of why we celebrate Christmas. Today we read a passage from the book of Luke To give you a bit of context of what happened prior to this song from Zechariah is this. You know, for the people of Israel at this time, it's been about 400 long years since the last prophetic word that was spoken by Malachi. You know, 400 years. Like, I mean, for us, we read the last verse of Malachi in the Old Testament, flip the page and into the New Testament, here we are, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. But for the people of Israel, the reality was that God had withdrawn from his people for 400 years. Now, 400 years is a lot. It's definitely a lot. But sometimes it's really hard to picture what 400 years looks like. So here's a bit of context the country we live in, Australia, was colonized by the British in 1788. That's only, and I say only, 234 years ago in comparison to the 400 years of waiting. And so when the angel Gabriel, he visits Zechariah, 400 years has passed since the last prophecy. And he tells Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth, who is barren and advanced in her years, would give birth to a boy who will be named John, a.k.a. John the Baptist. And he, John, would prepare the way for the impending arrival of Jesus. And what do you think Zachariah's response was? After 400 years hearing this message from the angel, well, it was unbelief. He doesn't believe it. And because of his unbelief of what the angel of God had said, he becomes mute, silent, unable to speak, and we think also unable to hear for nine whole months. Nine whole months. Like, I mean, what would you go through? What would be going through your mind if you were in Zachariah's position of muteness for nine months? Well, this is what John Piper says in particular to this scene. He says, Zachariah's muteness, it may have been a rebuke from God, But God always turns his rebukes into rewards for those who keep faith. What does that mean? Well, probably, Zachary, in those nine months, he probably prayed and prayed and prayed to himself. 
and thought and thought and thought and pondered and pondered and pondered and wrestled with what the angel had said for nine months on his own and thought probably how foolish he was to even question the angel of God. And so Zachariah's nine months of silence, I think, actually was a reward for him. It did wonders for him. The pause did wonders for him because after the pause and silence, we read in today's passage, he ends up singing this amazing prophetic song that we read today. And I want us to pause. I want us to stop and be silent. Not for nine months, but for a moment. Just for a moment. In amongst all that's going on in your life leading up to Christmas. So that we too, like Zachariah, can reflect and redirect our gaze back to God in this Christmas season. So God, in his kindness today, as we lead into Christmas, the birth of Jesus, just like Zachariah, who was aware of the impending birth of Jesus, reminds us of what we are called to focus on this morning. This morning, I've titled my sermon, Zachariah's Song, and I have three points to help us remember the significance of Christmas. Point number one is God the Redeemer. Point two, the message of John the Baptist. Point three, the outcome worth celebrating about. So those are my three points today. So why don't we jump into our first point, God the Redeemer. Let's reread verse 68 to 71. It says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Hate us. The first thing, Zechariah, who filled with the Spirit, he declares a gospel truth which has been resounding throughout all of the Old Testament. It says in the passage today, King David, Abraham, and the holy prophets of old have all been thinking or prophesying about this, that God is the redeeming God. He promised that he would send the one that would redeem his people. In fact, one of the most important illustrative events of redemption is seen in the Old Testament, way back in the book of Exodus, you know, where Israel is redeemed under the burdens of slavery from the Egyptians. And God, what does he do? He acts as the Redeemer. He is the Redeemer. Not only this, but we see it in the book of Psalms, verse, chapter 19, verse 14. King David, he addresses God like this. He says, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. In Isaiah 41, 14, Isaiah says this, Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. God's redeeming plans was something the people of Israel was holding on to and waiting for years upon years upon years. And today in this passage, God is reminding us that not only was he the Redeemer back then before Christ was born, but for his people in today's passage, after 400 years of silence, where perhaps they thought God had forget, forgotten about his promises of redemption, that he still is the redeeming God. If you look at some of the Bible dictionaries and look up the term redemption, it means this. 
means released by payment or freed by ransom. And so God reveals through Zechariah how this ransom will take place and why this ransom must take place. Firstly, how? He redeems, it says in verse 69, through raising up a horn of salvation. A horn of salvation. You know, for us here in Australia, we don't have, well, I couldn't think of many animals that had horns. Um, And perhaps the only one that I could really think of was perhaps a sheep. And, you know, to link that of a horn with what we know of a lousy sheep, you know, with salvation, it really didn't match for me. But not until I remembered my recent experience a few months back in my trip to the USA in Philadelphia. One morning, uh, I woke up and I decided to go for a run. So here am I out in the morning in the streets of Philadelphia. It looks beautiful. It's cold, but beautiful. And here I am running early in the morning. You know, no one else in the street but me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I realized probably about... 50 meters in front of me, two Ds coming straight towards me. Two Ds. They were, I don't know, they, did they gallop or prance? But they were, they were coming straight for me and I panic and I, and I start running the other way. <laughs> and I run for about two seconds probably and within those two seconds, I think, wait a moment, what if they're like dogs and they chase after you? So I stop, I turn back, And they're just getting closer and closer and closer. But luckily, they veer off to the left, and I am saved. (laughs) You know, they had antlers, but we'll call them horns. They're probably horns too. But I kid you not, that was one of the scariest moments of my life. Those horns, though little, would have shred me to pieces. You see, horns, they're not only used, right? Honestly, horns, they're not only used to chase off random Asian runners early in the morning. (laughs) But as we all know, for animals, they're used for fighting. They're used for protection, securing dominance. And in the period of the ancient Near East, the horn symbolizes, symbolizes strength, it symbolizes power, and it symbolizes victory. And Zechariah is reminding his people that this Savior, Jesus, he will be our defense. He will be our offense. He will be one with great power to secure and protect his people. And what is he going to do? Well, that people of Israel would be, as verse 71 says it, saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who us. You see, the people of Israel, they were long waiting for a king who would come and free them from the oppression from the Roman Empire. And actually, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. This physical oppression from the enemies didn't happen in their time. It hasn't happened in our time, but we are told there will come a time in his second coming where he will make all things new where he will liberate his oppressed people. But not only is this text pointing to a physical saving, but more importantly, it's pointing to a spiritual saving. Christopher Ash, in his commentary, he says this, For every Christian has a great enemy, who is a murderer and a liar and the father of lies. He tempted Adam and Eve so that they walked headfirst into the shadow of death. 
Satan loves to steal and kill and destroy. He spoils lives with sin, with sickness, with fighting, with bitterness, and ultimately with death. The devil is a real and terrible enemy. Yeah, it's true. The people of Israel may be oppressed physically but defeating, by defeating the Roman Empire, but physical defeat is not going to achieve the goal of redemption. However, what we do need desperately saving from is the consequences of our sin and death. And so God's redemptive plan was to raise up for us a horn of salvation, a salvation that is victorious in Christ Jesus over sin and death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 to 57, that says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, because of this victory over sin and death, this is what achieves redemption for us. Read with me verse 74 to 75. This is how it is achieved and what it achieves. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You see, the relationship with God, which was once severed by sin, is completely, it's restored. We can now in confidence approach the throne of grace to serve, to worship him without fear. And we can do this not because we are holy or righteous, but because Christ, he is holy and righteous. We are a redeemed people, not because of what we've done. The only thing we've contributed in this relationship is sin. The redemption work, the saving work, is not and cannot be achieved by us through our performances, through our obedience or through our good works, no. Not at all. The redemption, the redeeming work, the ransom that was paid is all of God's work through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And so, friends, take a moment. Take a moment to pause and reflect as we head towards Christmas Day in the busyness and frantic moments that is to come and perhaps are already here for you Have you taken time to consider the actual reason, the true purpose of Christmas, that God in his grace and mercy has visited and redeemed us by raising up a horn of salvation in Christ Jesus to save us from our enemies so that we might be able to serve him and enjoy him and worship him at this time? God, he redeems The second point I want to make is the message of John the Baptist. As we read these verses today, have you ever considered why Zechariah speaks of his newborn son at the end of the song? Like, I mean, for all parents here, when we have a newborn, the first thing we want to tell people of is of our newborn son, right? But for Zechariah, that wasn't the case. And actually, I believe there is a purpose and reasoning behind the order. You see, through divine inspiration of the Spirit, Zachariah knew that his son, John the Baptist, he had a secondary role. 
And that secondary role was to prepare the way for the one who had the primary role, Jesus Christ. You see, without the primary, the secondary means nothing. It's useless. Without Jesus, whatever role John had, it means nothing. And so Zechariah, through the divine inspiration of the Spirit, is saying this, all you who hear, we need the primary Jesus. The song at first is all about Jesus. And now that we have the primary, the secondary message becomes relevant. But I don't want us to undermine the significance of this secondary role or message for us here today. It's in the Bible for a reason. You see, for John, he has to go before the Lord and prepare his ways. It says this in verse 76 to 79. And you, child, which is John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the ways of peace. See, friends, we can learn much from these verses because the message John was responsible to deliver is a message we all need today. As we think about all the great things that bring us joy in Christmas, have we paused and thought that we too are like the people of Israel in need of the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of our sins? You know, we too need to hear the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. You see, I want to emphasize the word here, knowledge. You see, John the Baptist isn't the one doing the saving. That's the primary Jesus, that's his role. John's role is to share the knowledge of salvation. It's to tell people of salvation and how salvation is achieved. And so for you friends sitting here today, do you know the knowledge of salvation? You know, I looked up the definition of salvation in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it says this, deliverance from the power and effects of sin. Now, do you agree with this definition? Like, if an unbeliever was to read that, do you think they would grasp the knowledge of salvation? Maybe as a broad statement, maybe. But Zechariah helps us by saying that salvation, it comes through the forgiveness of sins. And this forgiveness of sin does not come from us, but it comes from Christ alone. And the Merriam-Webster Dictionary does not explicitly highlight this important knowledge of salvation. No other death on the cross could save us but the death of Jesus. As it is written in Matthew 26 to 28, it says, For this is the blood of the covenant. This is Jesus at the Last Supper. He says, For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It was... Jesus' blood. For us to be reconciled back to God, we need our sins forgiven, and the only worthy one to cleanse us from our sin is Christ alone. And friends, this is why we celebrate Christmas. Because without Christ, without his birth, without the primary, without the horn of salvation, we cannot be redeemed. And Zechariah, he 
looks at his, probably holding his newborn son, looks at him and says, your role, although secondary, is important because you will tell the people of the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. The message of salvation we all need to hear today. You see, we all live in the reality of sin, don't we? Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, our default heart setting is sin. And to be fair, this heart setting is much more serious than we'd like to think. Zachariah's song links sin to darkness and death. And this is what he says, uh, this is what it's written in Romans 5.12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all sat in darkness, unable to escape due to the depths of our sin. We all were perishing. We had rejected and rebelled against the Father. We followed the course of this world, living in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of our bodies and minds, becoming children of wrath by nature and destined for eternal condemnation and destruction. This is reality, friends. And so John, in his secondary role, was to give knowledge that we all are sinners and are in need of forgiveness. And this forgiveness can only be ransomed and be paid by Jesus Christ. That is salvation. And today, friends, as we look towards Christmas, take some time to pause. Be reminded that we all are in need of a saviour. Now, Christmas presents are great, but we can live without them for some. Christmas dinners, holidays, etc. are great, but we can live without them. But salvation through Christ we need and we cannot live without. And so if you're amongst us today, and you've already confessed your sin and given your life to Jesus Christ, I praise God for you. But I want to encourage you to continue to wage war on your sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you. And one way to do this today is by confessing our sins to God. And when we do that, he says he's faithful to forgive us of our sins. And friends, can I also encourage you or exhort you that there are people in need of hearing this message. Just like how John had to share the knowledge of salvation, I want to encourage you, spur you to do the same thing this Christmas. You see, the greatest gift you could give someone this year is the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And perhaps you're sitting here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus. Well, this message is also for you too. It's the message of salvation. It's the message that if you give your life to Christ and confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins too. So in the busyness of Christmas, stop, pause, take a deep breath. Christmas is about Jesus, our Redeemer who forgives us of our sins. Go to him. Point three is the outcome worth celebrating about. You know, one activity 
uh, we've been doing as a family, uh, with the Springs family actually over the past couple of years, is visiting streets with the local within the local neighbourhood with, you know, those insane Christmas decorations. You know, seriously, some people celebrate Christmas, but some people really celebrate Christmas. The, the vibrant colours, the decorations, the lollies, the joy. But what I love most is the people gathering together looking at the lights, the marvellous lights. You know, there's something about lights, right? I think it attracts people, you know, like fireworks, the beautiful lights there that you see. I really believe that God created us humans to be drawn to lights. But, you know, even before the invention of LED lights, Christmas has always been about lights, but about the light. Zachariah's song actually ends emphasizing the significance of this light. And this light, which he refers to as the sunrise, and this sunrise is the light of Christ. Read with me verse 78 to 79. It says this, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We are gathered here today to celebrate the light of Christ. Into the world came God the Son. He came, visited us, and this light of Christ has overcome the darkness and death in our lives. John 1 verse 4 to 5 says this, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is victory here over darkness. And you know what people do when there is victory in battle? They celebrate. And today we celebrate the victory of Christ for he has overcome darkness. Friends, Jesus came to pursue our salvation because he, his desire and God's desire is that we would be with him forever and experience the fullness of joy and eternal pleasures as we see him in all his divine glory. And friends, this salvation is not just the remission of penalty. No, but it brings restoration in our relationship. It brings restoration in our relationship with God. And do you know what people do when relationships are restored? They celebrate. And we celebrate today because through Christ, our estrangement from God is turned into friendship. The distant God has come near and the God we feared has become the lover of our souls. And so we draw near to him now without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Friends, can you see God's tender mercy in all of this? We do not deserve Christ, but that's what we're receiving. God is merciful. That's who he is. God is merciful. That's what he does. And mercy is what we need. We depend on it. It's the mercy of God that enables us to hold fast to the life and death of Jesus Christ. And this, my friends, is the message of hope sent to us by God this morning. The wonderful outcome of God's redemptive plan has been revealed through Christ. That, was, that we no longer 
live in darkness, but we're restored. We're redeemed. Christ guides our feet into the way of peace with God. Isn't that worth celebrating about? The light of Christ has come. Friends, Christmas is only 14 days away. I bet some of you just panicked, right? If you did, re-listen to this sermon. But sometimes, due to the busyness of this season, panic does kick in. Frustration in circumstances. You become short-tempered with each other, perhaps. Anxieties kick in. When those moments come, and even before it comes, I want us to just pause, be still, remind yourself again what really matters. Keep the main thing the main thing. We, like Zachariah, we should be amazed. We should be amazed and affected by this first Christmas. These verses from 67 to 79 is actually just one really long sentence, and it's called the Benedictus. It's called the Benedictus because he is singing about blessing God. This song is all about praising God. That's what we want to do today. This must be front of mind as we lead up to Christmas because to us, friends, a Savior is born, the horn of salvation who has freed us. He has saved us from our sin and death and darkness. And as we come to him in repentance, he forgives, he draws us out of darkness into glorious light with him. Friends, this is the message of Christmas, and that's worth celebrating and praising about. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your words that remind us again that you have redeemed your people and raised up a horn of salvation for us. We thank you that because of your birth, because of Christ who entered this world, because of your death and resurrection on the cross, we are freed and we can have a relationship with you, O oh Lord. We thank you so much for this gift of Jesus. And today, as we lead as we head towards Christmas in the next 14 days. Oh Lord, help us not to be so distracted by what's happening right now all over the world, but help us to be looking at you, gazing at you, being reminded of the promises of Christ and celebrating the birth of Jesus, the greatest news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.